Hello and welcome to The Stockout. The Stockout is your show at Freight Waves uh, on uh, consumer packaged goods, CPG companies, uh, where we discuss uh, you know, those companies in the CPG space, their supply chains, freight transportation, uh, other things that we know at uh, Freight Waves. And today on uh, The Stockout, um, I should introduce myself. I'm Mike Bowden-Distel of Freight Waves. I'm an analyst, market expert, follow the railroads closely, follow the CPG companies closely. Uh, as as well. Um, and today on uh, the show, we're going to be discussing three big items, um, sort so of the items that I thought were the, the most relevant to, to talk about. The first one is Oatly, which has been under a lot of pressure. Um, there was a short seller a report that came out this week um, and it's been sort of a grenade, I think, on, on the, on the, on the um, shares, uh, you know, the shares are down about 30% in the last month, about uh, 17 or 18% in the last five trading sessions. So I'll talk about that. Uh, it's a 124-page report written by a short seller, um, obviously very bearish, um, but I'll go through some of the, the highlights, some initial, you know, thoughts, maybe save you some time so you don't have to spend your weekend reading a 124-page uh, short report. Also, I'll talk about uh, Pepsi, which reported uh, strong earnings earlier this week, which you know I think is encouraging uh, as far as CPG companies. Maybe a little bit of a bellwether because so many of their products are, um, you know, benefit when when consumers are out and about, um, you know, by buying things at gas stations, uh, con- convenience stores, uh, you know, things of, of, of that nature, um, and maybe it bodes well for. You know, some of the competitors, you know, you know, Coke's you know, report is, is coming up. Uh, some of these other, you know, CPG companies that do well, you know, not just when consumers go to the grocery store, um, but when they're also sort of out and about. Um, so I'll talk, I'll hit on, uh, you know, Pepsi's uh, results, and then I'll talk about what's happening in the world of freight transportation. And I think that one of the biggest issues, um, you know, this week has been the, the congestion in the world of, of intermodal. So there's been a lot of discussion here at Freight Waves about uh, the, the intermodal congestion and um, you know, including you know some with with you know CPG companies and other shippers that um, you know are a little frustrated with you know what's happening in terms of uh, the the intermodal service I'll, I'll give you some some anecdotes some some you know anonymous anecdotes and and, and, and give so you tell you what our data is showing um, in, in terms of congestion um, you know when that might be alleviated etc um, but first uh, we'll do a word from our sponsor and a sponsor of the um, uh, show today is Echo Global Logistics. Um, trust the experts at Echo Global Logistics for all your freight transportation and CPG shipping needs. Whether you're a Fortune 100 CPG company or a specialty food manufacturer, Echo has solutions to fit your needs with their dedicated team, as well as Echo Ship, a self-service shipping portal, allowing you to quote, book, track, uh, and ship. Uh, Echo has you covered. Technology at your fingertips and experts by your side, 24 hours a day, seven days a week. To find out how you can simplify your transportation management, please visit www.echo.com forward slash CPG. So big thanks to Echo Global Logistics, um, guys located in Chicago. Um, they do a good job with LTL and, and, and CPG. So We'll get into it here. You know, the big topic this week is 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 Oatly. Um, in the in the short report, you know, Oatly, um, you know, went public back in May. This is a company that's been around. Uh, I'll explain who Oatly is. I mean, they've been around since 1996. They specialize in uh, products that are made, you know, out of oats that are dairy alternatives. Sort of their primary product is oat milk, which in their home market of of, of Sweden and, and some of the other you know areas. Uh, 
you know, is, is the primary and alternative for, um, for, for dairy milk in the U S it's, it's more, you know, almond milk is, is sort of the biggest, uh, you know, dairy alternative for, for, for milk, but, uh, you know, their home home market, maybe because of their own success, uh, oat milk is the, is, is, is the largest. They also do certain other, um, you know, dairy alternatives like, you know, ice cream, yogurt, you know, other frozen desserts, um, you know, et cetera. Uh, they've had a lot of, of success in their home market of Sweden. So, you know, a, a, a smaller, you know, market, maybe one that's more, um, you know, health conscious, maybe one that is more, you know, it's further along in terms of, you know, using plant-based products to substitute for animal-based products. And they've, they've been sort of at the, the, the forefront of, of that. Oatly entered the market in, in 2016 and, um, you know, didn't have too much trouble raising, you know, capital from a number of different sources, um, you know, private equity, including some celebrity, you know, backers. Um, and uh, this is a company that's, you know, I think their primary objective right now is to, to grow, you know, take market share, take mind share, change consumers' uh, behavior to, um, you know, use their products in addition to, um, you know, traditional milk products. They've, they've, they've made some progress with some of their partnerships like, you know, Starbucks. You can now you know, get Oatly at, at, at Starbucks if you want to you know, try it out the next time you're at a, at a Starbucks. And that, that growth, that, that market share um, has, you know, push has, has you know, caused their losses, their, their losses to in, increase. You know, I think, you know, that maybe that's part of, you know, by design. It, it, you have to spend money to make money. They're spending a lot of money on, on advertising and other things to, to, to ramp up you know, production um, and, and sort of get their name out there. Their advertisements are seem to be pretty much, you know, everywhere. I, I see them, you know, all the time here. They're pretty, you know, eye-catching, um, uh, you know, over, um, ads like, you know, milk that's, you know, actually for, it's like milk, except it's made for, for humans, you know, those, those ads you see. So, um, you know, this is one, it, it was sort of destined to be controversial. And, you know, because we've seen a lot of controversy surrounding, the plant-based, um, you know, substitute, uh, you know, for, for, for traditional products. And, you know, because, you know, these companies, I mean, it's similar to what we've seen, you know, earlier with, you know, Beyond Meat, which is, which is also publicly traded, where it's, it's difficult to get your arms around exactly how fast, you know, these, these markets are growing, you know, what the market share is ultimately going to be. So they're difficult to value. So you do tend to have, uh, you know, people on, on, you know, people trading the stock on, on, on both sides. Um, I think the bull case would be that, you know, they've been successful in their home country of Sweden, you know, clearly a very small market. If they could replicate that success, you know, outside in, into much larger markets where they're really in sort of a nascent, um, you know, stage in terms of uh, their North American you know, strategy, having just entered the U.S. market in 2016, if they could replicate that, you know, success, you know, the, the sort of maybe the sky's the, the, the limit, um, you know, the bear cases, well, there's not a lot of, you know, barriers to entry, you know, you've seen with a lot of these other you know, categories that have sort of taken, you know, you know, taken shape, like, you know, Greek yogurt, I think is, is one example where, you know, Chobani basically pioneered, you know, Greek yogurt, at least popularized it. And then, um, you know, a lot of other competitors have jumped in, you know, having you know, competing products. So I, I do think you're going to have more, you know, competing products, depending on, um, you know, how, how much this takes off. And, and, and that was, you know, a portion of what uh, this short seller's report was about the short seller is uh, a Spruce Point Capital Management. And, you know, for those of you who don't have a background or, um, you know, interest in finance, I'll, I'll explain what, you know, this this is. I mean, this is one of the, the companies that, um, you know, sells, you know, shares short. So they're betting the stock will go down, basically borrowing the shares, hoping that, you know, it, stock goes down so they can 
um, you know, close out the position, you know, by you know by by buying back the shares at a lower price. Um, and some of these companies, uh, you know, such as Spruce uh, Point, uh, you know, will, will publish, you know, rather lengthy, um, you know, reports that you know explain, you know, their position, which you know they do that after um, already taking a short position in the shares, which would be illegal if it wasn't for the fact that they have you know, fully disclosed um, that they're, you know, have a short position in the shares. They want the shares to go down. They have a vested interest in it going down. You know, that's very clear. So you do have to have that in mind. You know, anyone that, that reads the report, you know, there's some people who would say that, um, you know, you should be able to, you should be able to short a, a stock or write a bearish article about a, a stock. You shouldn't be able to do both because of, of issues with manipulation, but that's not really the the, the issue or, or the law as, as it is today. They, you know, these companies are allowed to, to do that if um, if it's disclosed. So I'll move on to talk about what um, you know their their issues were, and and I would really sort of categorize these into to three different sections. Where the first uh, you know few points, which I'll go through, I think you know you could find in any uh, you know research you know report that you know was took a little bit more of a bearish. You know, outlook, which I think some of these are, are, are pretty reasonable. Some of them I've already you know mentioned a minute ago. Um, you know, minimal beer barriers to entry. You know, certainly if this is successful, you're going to see bigger competitors. I mean, there's nothing you know preventing you know Nestle from making a bigger push in, in their own you know competing products. You know, for instance, um, you know, rising commodity input costs. I've talked a lot about that on uh, the stockout, um, and then the you know the valuation, which you know valuation, you know. This, this report quotes 17 times 2021, you know, sales, which is crazy, and 75 times adjusted gross profit. You know, those are are, are crazy multiples unless you think the um, you know revenue and and potential you know earnings are going to grow fairly you know you know exponentially um, because these these markets are are, are untapped and it's and it's sort of a, a blue ocean, I guess. Um, so, it, you know, the, the valuation I think is hard to. Say definitively because you just don't know how quickly it's going to grow. And people can have very different, you know, op- opinions about those things. Um, company also cited some some loss of market share in in Sweden and um, a lack of you know competitive advantages. Um, you know, really sort of it almost gets to Porter Five Forces lack of a moat uh, around the the business. So all of those things I think are 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 pretty reasonable and uh, you know things that you'll find in other. You know, analyst reports. If, I'm not sure the analysts have, have started, uh, you know, publishing on that. There's usually a sort of a lockout uh, period, cooling off period before they can publish. Um, and then some of these other things, I think, were, were were more interesting. So that's the sort of the first category. The second category is is the the greenwashing, and then the third category is um, the the financial, um, you know, uh, red flags that this uh, short seller saw. So on the on the greenwashing issue. So greenwashing is is basically the the company's environmental, you know, credentials are not really, you know, what they what they say they are. And this is a company that holds itself out as um, being sort of more environmentally friendly than than others and, and other, you know, the categories of products. I mean, they're one of the companies that will put um, their, you know, carbon, you know, impact on the label in addition to uh, nutrition information, which, you know, is 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 interesting. We'll see if that you know gains traction, but. Um, you know, short sellers, some of the things that they, um, you know, pointed out is that, you know, claim that the water consumption in this is worse than, than dairy milk actually says it results in dangerous levels of wastewater, uh, re- which requires Oatly to build its own treatment facilities. Um, and then the, the facilities are not located close to the oats, which I guess if they were located close to the oats, that would eliminate 
uh, the freight, a lot of the freight transportation um, that that would, has to take place currently, which is a big source of the carbon impact of a particular product. And you know, I guess they they also said the company wasn't incorporating the the freight transportation into the environmental impact, uh, which is one of the big um, you know, sources of carbon. So they basically had an issue with their uh, carbon accounting, which I think is interesting because um, you know this this ESG trend is really gaining a lot of traction, and you know it seems like every you know public company that you go through their investor you know materials now they spend half the investor materials talking about their ESG you know credentials, um, and to sort of uh, you know see a company's ESG credentials be called you know so quickly into in, into question, I think is is is, is interesting. Uh, the, the last thing, which is probably the most, you know, concerning, you know, topic is uh, the, 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 you know, issues that this company ra- rose um, with the, the controls, financial control, you know, weaknesses they cite. Um, so they, they, you know, talked about, um, you know, over the company, you know, maybe overstating the revenue and gross margin. You know, they said that, um, you know, the, the, the shipment volume wasn't available, which makes them think that maybe the, 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 the revenue was, was estimated and, and, and not real, real revenue. So a lot of these things, I mean, it's it would be difficult for me to have any idea if, if that's you know true or not. They also said that the the sales in in 2018, Nelson or, or um, Oatly said it was 12 million. Um, Swedish publication said it was six. So some discrepancy there. They also said that Oatly's you know gross margin is overstated, and they said it was overstated because they did not include you know certain items where it would you know typically you know would be included in in, in the gross margin certain costs like. You know, freight transportation. So typically, like a you know food company, we've seen this with other other you know packaged goods companies. I've, I've talked about how you know it gets lumped in in their cost of sales, and so it's often difficult to back out you know just how much um, you know they are spending in freight transportation. We'd love to know. Sometimes the companies will will, will disclose that, um, but um, you know that that accounting for for gross margin, which you know inflates the gross margin. You know, if companies are, are being valued off of a multiple of gross margin, that can, of course, inflate the, the value of the company. So, you know, company brought up some some concerns there. They also talked about how, you know, some of the executives in the, the finance department had not, um, you know, just you know, put in their their bio or their LinkedIn profile that they were, you know, you know part of other, you know, companies that, um, you know, had, you know, issues with their with, with their accounting. So, um, you know, that's sort of the the, the big one. I mean, the, the, the short sellers, you know, calling for sort of an independent, you know, investigation of the the, the financials. Um, so we'll 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 see what happens. Um, but that's sort of the the big issues. You know, Oatly came out with a statement to um, CNBC where they said that you know these allegations are uh, are false um, and there's there's no merit to to, to any of them. And uh, you know, of, of course the the, the person writing the the, the report, the, the team writing the report, have a, have a vested interest in seeing the shares, you know, decline. So, um, of course, you know that portion of it is true. That's you know not disputed, and uh, we'll we'll see what happens. I'll, you know, keep keep you updated on on the stock out. Um, topic number two. I'll move on to a company that's a little less controversial is uh, Pepsi, which uh, you know, Pepsi, I think we're pretty familiar with, with, with them. And they, they had a great quarter, actually. They beat estimates, raised guidance. Shares were up a few percent when it came out. Um, and some of these stats, I think, are pretty impressive. Net sales grew 20.5% year over year. That's about 7% ahead of expectations. And this was driven by a 21% increase in, in, in beverages and a 15% increase in beverage volume. So that's really the implication is they're selling, you know, 
beverages that cost a little bit more, that's 6% more, that's some combination of, of pricing and mix. And then the Frito-Lay segment um, had revenue growth of 6%, which you know, I think that was maybe one uh, thing people thought might change as um, the U.S. economy opens up, as people would stop uh, maybe sitting on the couch and eating uh, Doritos. They would uh, you know, get outside and, and, and not buy so many of those snacks. But people still seem to be buying you know, the, the, the snacks, um, and uh, sales seem to be, be up pretty well. A company's earnings were uh, you know dollar seventy two uh, versus the consensus of dollar fifty three, so a really nice beat. And their guidance now is for earnings growth this fiscal year of eleven percent. Analysts were expecting seven percent. And you know, following the beat, um, you know, some of the analysts on the the call, you know, ask like they usually do, oh, is, is this guidance this guidance you just gave is that is that actually conservative? Um, and they said, well. You know that there are still lockdowns in places like you know Europe and and, and elsewhere. So U.S. is not necessarily re- representative of what's happening around the world in terms of um, things are pretty much back to normal. At least they are um, here in Dallas. So um, as as this relates to other you know companies, uh, makes me think maybe Coke's you know earnings are going to be good as well. They report next week. Other companies that rely on the channels of you know, convenience stores, gas stations, you know, restaurants, um, you know, the food service business, I think is, uh, you know, th- those results might actually be a little bit better than expected. Of course, you know, some people are still, you know, cooking, um, but I think some of these these sort of snack foods, which actually tend to be fairly, you know, high margin when, they, when, they, when they're purchased at a, um, at, a, at a, you know, gas station convenience store, um, you know, those seem to be doing pretty well. Uh, topic number three here, and this is sort of the main transportation topic, um, you know, that came across this week, is intermodal congestion is rampant. Um, there was a lot of discussion this week on intermodal congestion, and I can give you some some anecdotes uh, from around the, the the industry. There was a large a shipper that we talked to earlier this week and said that they were you know, basically restricted to you know the times that they could have you know containers ingated into the various terminals, they had to get them ingated between 6 a.m. and 8 a.m. And if they didn't get them ingated in time, they'd basically have to come back the next day. Um, and this is a, a company that does a lot of, of export, uh, you know, bulk products, you know, things like export grains that go in bags, that go in containers. So, and then they basically said that's next to impossible to find, um, you know, international containers. So, so they were, um, you know, expressing some frustration um, there was also, uh, you know, a, a big uh, you know, CPG company that, um, you know, we talked to, you know, this week that, you know, said that, uh, you know, from their perspective, you know, they were um, you know, having difficulty, you know, sourcing, uh, you know, some of the, um, you know, having an, getting enough capacity in actually some of the, the eastern, you know, U.S. lanes. Um, there was a big, you know, railroad this week. I think this is public. So it's, it's Union Pacific. Uh, you know, talked about um, that the congestion at their, you know, inland intermodal terminals, particularly in Chicago. Chicago is sort of the, the primary, um, you know, area where there's congestion, and that's and that's typical. Um, you know, Chicago tends to be more congested than, you know, other points in the North American railroad network. I think that's, you know, especially true now. And, and what they've done is they've, you know, temporarily, uh, Union Pacific has temporarily suspended uh, eastbound movements from the West Coast terminals, including, LA, Long Beach, Oakland, Tacoma. So basically intermodal trains that are going from the West Coast into um, Global 4 facility, which is you know, one of the big you know, intermodal facilities uh, into Chicago for the next uh, seven days. So they're trying to get you know, a handle you know, on that. And um, you know, some of the data that we've seen out of 
you know, LA, um, we have a, a, a chart that shows, um, you know, there it is on the, the, the screen. If you're, if you're, you know, watching the video, um, so the intermodal tender rejections, those don't get, you know, rejected all that often. I mean, a lot of the, the intermodal shippers, it's, it's, they get their tenders uh, sort of automatically accepted. They're sort of on an auto accept a type program, but you've seen that how, how really, um, that intermodal tender rejection index outbound from LA, you know, after a big spike there in January and February, um, was was pretty well behaved in in March, April, and 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 May, but lately it's shot up to to twelve percent. It's come down a little bit to, to eight point seven, but that's still really an elevated, you know, level. And um, you know, Union Pacific, you know, also said that they're working with ocean carriers to encourage more rapid outgating um, at, at some of these inland terminals. Um, they've also said that they've capped the storage fees at you know various locations, which has been a an, an issue, um, and even one that uh, you know, both the Surface Transportation Board, which oversees the railroads, and the Federal Maritime Commission, which oversees the maritime industry um, in the U.S., you know, they, they've been asked to look at um, you know those uh, you know, fees very closely by the, the Biden administration in this executive order uh, that came out uh, you know last last week. Um, also, we have a, a chart that shows uh, you know Chicago. Uh, intermodal, and uh, you know, here is a tender rejection index in Chicago, and I'm and I'm putting that in in blue is the tender rejection index for intermodal in Chicago, and I'm, I'm putting that against the intermodal um, spot rates from Chicago to Atlanta, so one of the big you know, quarters in the eastern part of the country. And you know, what you see there is it tends to tend to have a spike in tender rejections before the spike in intermodal spot rates, and and we've seen that you know both in you know, November, December, and also May into June and July. And now the intermodal spot race in that lane, you know, way above where they've been, um, you know, in, in, in recent months. And so what this is, means is that the, the railroads are discouraging, um, you know, shippers from, you know, bringing spot loads, you know, in, into that lane, you know, trying to protect that for more of the contracted customers, which are the more important customers. Um, you know, heard from a major CPG company this week that, um, you know, also expressed you know, frustration with uh, the um, intermodal service. And they said that one of the Eastern railroads is now 72% on time. And, um, you know, he hasn't been able to give them a good idea of when they're likely to get above that sort of 72%, you know, type level, which, um, you know, that shipper was, was, was saying that, you know, really, um, you know, there's not a big cost advantage to, intermodal right now. Um, and, and, and sort of the reason for that is, you know, the, the, the extra time it takes, uh, intermodal of course is, is worth something. Um, but then even on just the, uh, the cost basis that, you know, intermodal shipping, you know, typically is associated with, um, you know, demurrage, uh, charges, detention charges for, um, you know, not picking up the containers on time on, on, on either, you know, either the, either, bef- you know, part of the, the dray before their, their dray at the end. Um, and so that's you know been costly, and then a lot of the the um, you know, rails are you know either you know planning to or already have um, you know peak season uh, you know surcharge basically you know volume related surcharges in place. And so the the feedback we're getting from some of the big CPG shippers out there right now is that they're not seeing a lot of value in intermodal um, as opposed to, to to truckload. And I think that's one of the reasons why um, you know when you look at uh, volume. Um, the the domestic intermodal volume is is down. It's 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 below where it was a year ago. It is it is against a difficult comp where last year you know things were going you know gangbusters at this time of the year. Um, but still you you see 
um, you know, my perception is that some of the uh, volume that would have been going intermodal has shifted to the highway because the service levels just haven't uh, been there. I've got one more uh, sonar chart for you uh, today, and this is one, um, you know, is the, the outbound, this is for the, the truckload sector, uh, outbound tender rejection index in uh, blue, and uh, truckstop.com spot rates in green. These tend to move together. Um, uh, outbound tender rejection index tends to lead uh, the spot rates, but that hasn't been true here lately. The, the tender rejection index come down to 21%. Spot rates still elevated at 331. That's a, those, are, those are national you know, numbers and uh, would tell you, you know, a couple of reasons for that is that the, the um, truckstop.com rates include fuel surcharges. You have seen a big run up in uh, fuel prices, uh, you know, rack prices up something like 45% last, you know, six months. Um, and then, uh, you know, the other, you know, reason is is really these, uh, you know, contract, uh, you know, a lot of the contracts um, in truckload have renewed at much higher rates. And so that doesn't create the same incentive to, you know, reject the the the, the um, volume to chase you know spot rates because maybe the absolute you know spread in the contract rates and the spot rates is is a little narrower, um, so the, the carriers don't necessarily need to reject as many loads because the tender rejection index is always you know relative to you know the contract market and the contract market has has moved. So, you know, just um, I think the, the point is you know, just because that you see that um, tender rejection index fall in the freight waves data. That doesn't mean that uh, the market is necessarily getting a lot looser when you see that that spot rate sort of market clearing price, you know, still um, still at an elevated level. There's no question uh, carriers are adding uh, capacity, um, trying to do that very quickly. Um, but uh, you know, still, you know, a lot of demand, a lot of congestion, still keeping uh, the the freight markets tight. So that's really what I wanted to go over today. Um, next week, uh, you know, Coke reports earnings. Uh, we'll see how they uh, do with uh, the recovery. Um, stands to reason that uh, the more things recover, the better that Coca-Cola does. But keep in mind, I mean, they're a very uh, global company. So uh, what's true in the U.S. isn't true everywhere. So if, if there's a disappointment in, in the earnings, it might uh, might be that uh, exactly. Uh, Kimberly Clark also reports earnings. I'll, I'll talk about that a little bit. You know, Kimberly Clark, of course, has. Um, you know, increased prices pretty significantly be- because they they've seen a lot of uh, rising input costs, even more so than I think than a lot of other CPG companies because they do things with like you know resins and plastics. Um, and talk about whatever else comes up in the world of uh, CPG. Um, if you're not already signed up to the Stockout newsletter, uh, please do so at www.freightwaves.com/forward/slash/the-stockout and feel free to reach out to me. Uh, email is m bowden distal at freightwaves.com. Hope everyone has a great weekend.